Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Watchdogs. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the North American Waterfowler. I've got a really unique and fun episode today that I've been waiting for for a long time. I'm going to be talking. Testing one, two. Is this, this thing on? Uh, can, can Are you hearing me? I was in the middle of Hello? the intro, Robert. Oh, sorry. All right, I'm you sorry. You can just kind of Go. follow my lead, man. Come on. So, I'm supposed to be having Tim Cochran on here, but he is... He is off on an errand for his wife, and so filling in for him for a short time, hopefully a really short time, is his buddy, Robert Mann. So I guess if we're going to have to have you on here, I guess we'll have you on here, Robert. Where's Tim? Hello? Where's uh, That wife of his, I, I, I heard he's going to be on this podcast, and so I wanted to come over and just kind of see what it was all about. And then his wife... She wanted him to run to the Dollar General store and pick something up for supper. I, I'm telling you, some of these wives don't really understand how important all this hunting stuff is, you know. Now, my wife, Larnetta, she gets it. She she gives me, well, she's the, she's God's gift to mankind as far as I'm concerned. But and anyhow, did have I talk, have you heard about the Dollar General store? That Did you hear my story I told about it a while back? Because I had kind of a scarring experience there well robert i did get wind of it it was kind of a buzz around uh the internet and so i i did he- i did hear about what happened i was highly disturbed and while you're here you might as well go ahead and, and share this it is a pretty funny story well see my wife miss larnetta she wanted me to run in the dollar general store pick up a couple things for supper and i come around the corner back there in the freezer section you know where they had the Emego waffles and stuff and there's a fella there holding a container of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Now, it ain't unusual to see somebody looking at an ice cream to figure out the calories or the, you know, the portion size, that kind of thing. But, well, this fella, he he pulled the lid off of it, and if I'm lying, I'm dying, that old boy spit right in on top of the ice cream. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just happened to catch him right in the act, and he looked up and seen me, and well, we was both kind of like deer in the headlights for a second. I was a little disgusted. He he said, oh, it's all right. I do this all the time. 
And I looked at him kind of funny. He said, oh, I, I ain't going to leave it here. I'm going to take it with me. He said, see, I, I come in here and I get I get me a thing of ice cream and I spit in top of it. And then when I take it up to the front to check out, I show them that somebody spit in it. Sometimes they give me a discount. Heck, sometimes they give it to me for free. <laughs> I said, okay, brother, I understand times are hard. You know, you got to do what you got to do. So I don't like to be nosy, but I figured I'd snoop around in the store and just wait for him to go to the counter and see what happened. So I, I just stood around there looking at the yard ornaments and stuff until he went to check out. So he went on up there to check out. And he handed that ice cream to the feller behind the counter. He said, now I'd, I'd like you to look at this because it, it looks like somebody spit in it. The feller behind the counter said, you mean somebody spit in the ice cream? He said, yeah, they sure did. Somebody spit right in this ice cream. The boy behind the counter said, so, so you're going to, you're going to take it with you? He said, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. Is, is there any way you can get me a discount? And the boy behind the counter kind of figured out what was going on. He said, well, I, I kind of think maybe you're the one that spit in there. You're just trying to get some free ice cream. And the guy with the Ben and Jerry said, uh-uh, no, that ain't the truth at all now. Somebody's spitting that ice cream. And the boy behind the counter said, well, I have a hard time believing that you're going to eat ice cream that somebody else spit in. And that old boy said, well, you better believe it. So the guy, <laughs> guy behind the counter took the lid off, <coughs> hocked him up a big old loogie and spit it right in on top of the ice cream, put the lid back on and said, all right, there you go, half price. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, I'd rather pay four ninety nine for a container of ice cream than to have to scoop a loogie out of the top. <laughs> oh my goodness! When did you say Tim was coming back? Well, you know, I don't, I don't know. He'd run to the store. Um, you know, my buddy Lim Parsons was going to come over here tonight too, but oh, well, thank God. To, well, see, his mama, Lim's mama. She she found out that her insurance company provides free colonoscopies and that a loophole in the whole deal is that they don't limit you on how many you get. <laughs> so Lim's mama, go, she goes every month and gets her a colonoscopy done. And Lim would have been here, but he had to, he had to stay with his mama. See, that the first time she got one done, she acted like everything was all right when he brought her home. But darn if she didn't get... She's a little loopy from the stuff they give you for it. And she went on the QVC channel and bought $2,000 worth of cosmetic supplies and hair care products. Elliot, she she's got less hair than I do. <laughs> Fortunately, Lem caught it before, it, the, the, before she had to pay for it all and was able to return it. But anyhow, he's over there with her tonight. And also, they got that Roku TV deal like you got your shows on it. I don't think they probably ever watched yours. I'm sorry, but they uh, they found out there's a murder she wrote channel on there, and every Wednesday night they put the new shows out. So they have well, they're having them a murder she wrote uh, marathon tonight. <laughs> That's a but he'd have been show. here because he was really he wanted to talk to you a little bit. Well, I've never actually met Lim. I have you know seen a lot of your stories that you've talked about and everything, but Lim seems to be Lim Parson seems to be a common theme. Of a lot of your adventures. So while we're waiting for Tim 
Do you have any stories about Lim? Oh, Lord have mercy. That boy. I, me and Lim Parsons have known each other since we was, oh, I don't know, I'd say three, four years old. And uh, he's been getting me in trouble the entire time. Um, let's see. I'd, I'd say probably what got me started on telling these stories is I was just kind of venting one day about some frustration I had. See, me and Miss Larnetta was going to go out on our date to the to the Golden Corral. You know, Golden Corral, that buffet restaurant. And tell you what, they're top-notch dining. If you don't have them out there and you ever come out here, you have to visit one of them. But on Thursday nights, they have their prime rib special. And so me and Miss Larnetta always go on Thursday nights to the Golden Corral. And one night, we was getting ready to go on our date night and Old Lim swung by the house. He said, hey, Robert, let's go fishing. Now, I, I ain't a poor man, but there's one thing I can't afford, and that's a divorce. And if I'd taken him fishing that night and let, left Miss Larnetta at home alone, I'd have been paying for one. So he said, well, can I at least borrow your boat, Robert? I said, Lim, son, you know how much that boat means to me, and you know how much I paid for it. Don't go out there and mess it up. He said, oh, Robert, I've been in that boat a thousand times. I ain't going to mess nothing up with it now. Well, me and Miss Larnetta, we uh, went on our date night, went to the Golden Corral. And then we had to stop by Menards, pick up a few items. Of course, every date ends up at Walmart these days, so we was there for a little while. Got back home right before dark, and there in the driveway where my boat usually sat was an empty boat trailer. Up on the porch was my buddy Lim Parsons sitting in the swing. I said, Lim Parsons, where's my boat? He said, now, Robert, before you get all upset, I said, Lim, don't tell me about getting upset. Where's my boat? He said, now, Robert, now, you know, I, I'm always careful. I said, Lim, I don't need to hear a sermon about how careful you are. I want to know where my boat is. He said, well, see, Robert, I, I had it out on the lake. And I'd been catching a lot of crappie and a couple. I said, Lim, I don't need a fishing report. I don't want a weather report. I don't want to know about what phase the moon is in. I want to know where my boat is. He said, well, Robert, you see, I was coming across the lake there on Cotterman's Point. And I, I said, Lim, I don't, know, I don't want a geography lesson. But, son, I'm going to need a lawyer if you don't hurry up and tell me where my boat is. He said, well, well Robert, I was coming across the lake. And it come up a heck of a thunderstorm and started pouring down rain. And, well, Robert, I, I was afraid the boat was going to fill up with water, so I, I pulled the plug out of it, Robert, thinking that maybe it'd keep it from filling up so quick. Well, Robert, I sunk the boat. It, I said, you sunk. I said, Lim, where at? He said, out in the water. I, I said, well, no kidding, Lim. He said, I don't know exactly, but the last time I looked at the depth finder, it said 30 feet. <laughs> I just told him to go on home. I did not want to be charged with homicide that night. <laughs> uh, that boy, I tell you, he, he is something else, but he's a good loyal friend, and he's kind of like a puppy dog. He's always right there. Did you ever recover that boat? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we did, but it took a lot of work and uh, ended up with Lim mooning a bunch of Pentecostal babies. <laughs> Lim, moon, Lim we, mooned some Pentecostal ladies? 
Oh yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of road between point A and point B, but it ended up with us at a baptismal service and Lemon nothing but his birthday suit. <laughs> but they's all real nice about it because when we finally got the boat up to the ramp, it was still full of water. They helped us lift it up out of the water. The Pentecostal ladies and the preacher and all of them they they helped us lift it up out of the water and get it back up on the trailer again. <laughs> Oh, we almost got arrested on that whole deal, too. That's another story. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What? Robert. Uh-oh. I just heard car door slam. Well, I'll tell you what, Elliot. I, I got two or three messages here from Miss Larnetta. She's making... She's making... Uh, what? Goose nachos tonight. We're having goose... Oh, I got to get going. If, if the juice from them uh, jalapeno peppers gets on the chips... It, Makes them all soggy. So I better head on out here. But I I think I hear Tim coming through the door right, right now. Robert. So just well, give me give me one second. I mean, well, I appreciate you joining us and uh I'm gonna take we're gonna take a quick break here while Robert gets out and Tim I comes. You and said he's gonna down. be back in five minutes. Thank Where you for you listening been? to the well, North Robert, American Waterfowl Podcast. I'm sorry. And I thought you said this guy was funny. He's about the most boring <laughs> Holly Moses. What? What are you? Robert, the darn cameras. Well, whatever. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Did you tell him about Lynn Parsons? Did you tell him a few Lynn Parsons stories? Yes, I told him about Lynn Parsons. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you telling about Go, baby, go. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hope you had a good time with Robert. Yeah, he's quite the character. <laughs> I will say that. He's got a few stories. Uh, you let that guy hang out in your house when you're gone? Oh, yeah. We've all grown up together. Well, we've been around each other a lot anyway. We'll put it that way. Yeah, he had a few of... Uh, he did share a few of his stories with us, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> he's full of it, that's for sure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is Tim Cochran. And funny story, Tim and I, we met because you were just watching my videos and commenting on a lot. And I have no memory of how we actually started talking. I um, just was writing comments on different things. I, I think um, 
the first video I saw was the one with Charlie and Aiden when you guys were goose hunting on the river on the ice. Right. And I watched that video and I thought, oh, well, that's pretty good. And then the second video I watched, you guys like stopped and said a prayer or something before the, the hunt. And I thought, hey, these guys are pretty, you know, it's pretty good. They're believers because I'm a, a very committed believer in Jesus myself. And so, but that. I might want to watch more of this, and so that's when I kind of started making some comments here, there, and just you know thanking you for what you were doing. I don't know where it went from there, but yeah, well, I, ended up in, started, I ended up in Kansas right, somehow. Right, we started talking, uh, just messaging back and forth, and I said, hey, if you ever want to come to Kansas and uh, hunt, you're, the door's open, you're welcome. So we set something up, we set up a hunting trip, and you hadn't hunted, you hadn't duck hunted in a few years before that trip. And yeah, no. Um, my dad and I always hunted together, and as he got older, and I was, I, we live about an hour and a half, well, probably an hour from home, from where I grew up, and that it just wasn't really feasible to go back and hunt all the time like I used to. So yeah, I hadn't hunted in five or six years, probably. Right. Duck hunted, I deer hunted, and turkey hunted, that kind of thing, but I hadn't duck hunted or goose hunted in a long time. Well, one of the main reasons that, that I asked you to come on here is that you are a wealth of creativity. And I mean, you are the meme machine, which I want to talk about that constricts a lot uh, at some point. But I mean, man, I know, especially on like Fellowship of the Duck Nuns, and you are the meme machine. And man, it cracks me up every time. But not only that, you you make a lot of music. You've made just for fun. You've made like what? How many freelance duck hunting just funny little vi uh, songs have you made just for my pure purely my entertainment? <laughs> Ten? Uh, probably, yeah, probably 10 or so, 10 or 12. But then somewhere along the road, you started actually making some shows or some uh, songs specifically about waterfowl hunting and about, about duck hunting specifically. Yeah, yeah. I think the first the first song that I wrote that wasn't an FDH-themed song uh, on one of the podcasts one night, Matt said something about hunting widows. And he said, hey, we ought to have Tim Cochran write a song about that. Don't and say that. so the next the next day I already had it I had it in the works and had it recorded about three days I had the hunting widow song it's on one of the albums I just put out yeah so Tim's got a couple of albums out and we're gonna go through a couple of those songs um, listen to them talk about the thing before we get into that I do want to go back to that that Kansas trip that you came on because yeah. I, I reposted one of those videos this year that that's I'm trying to think of a of a just a weekend of mallard hunting like a travel trip that's the best I mean you got in on the best of the best. Oh, yeah. It was just insane. That first day, it was... Well, I'll get into a second. I want to segue this, segue this into the comment of the week, which the little comment of the week jingle was made by none other than Tim Cochran. And, man, I love that little jingle. So, anyway, let, here we... Let's start <laughs> with the comment of the week. It's time for the comment of the So I've got a few comments of the week. I went back and to those two videos, and sometimes the comment of the week segment isn't necessarily comments that have happened this week. I just dig through comments on my channel or on Instagram, and they could have come at any point in time, it's, and I just find ones that I think are interesting. So if I have a guest on like uh, Titus or, or um, you know, Tim, I can't remember who else I did this with. Anyway, I go back on Jake. The, Jake, I think right. you had Jake. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I go back and look at hunts that we were on together and try to pull comments from that. And so this is from either of those two hunts that we went on that weekend. So the first one is Thomas Hoke says, 
from Hoke Outdoors. Wow, what an amazing showing of birds. I've never been I've never seen hunting quite like that on a lake bank with waves rolling in, but it sure looked fun. Awesome video, Elliot. Then Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles said, Unbelievable, my mind is blown. Matt from High Praise Sportsman commented, Heck of a hunt, Elliot. Can't beat when they're working like that. And then Titus from Mid Valley Mercenaries, Awesome hunt, Elliot. I just, I grabbed those because those are notable people, close friends of mine. And I mean, you could go through those videos and the amount of just people that were blown away by the hunts is was just unbelievable just unbelievable yeah so well and the thing the thing that about those like first of all i grew up hunting little creeks and flooded woods nothing like jake does down in arkansas it was just uh anytime it would we'd get a big rain the woods would flood i'd never hunted a big lake i'd never hunted a reservoir for ducks in my life and i'd been fishing on them once in a while but i'd never hunted anything like that before and the videos don't show a tiny fraction of the ducks that we saw i mean there's just no way to film that much but that first morning before before shooting time i'd I'd hate and we saw i know we saw three or four thousand ducks before we ever fired a shot they weren't all in range but i mean i hadn't seen anything like that in my life yeah (laughs) i I don't know that i have either that first day there, I mean, when we scouted the day before, and I don't remember. Yeah, you were on the you were on the scout trip. The, yeah. There was just yeah. thousands and thousands and oh, thousands yeah. of ducks, and we got this spot. And but the wind was changing from a soft wind to a really, really, really heavy wind. And so the X, we didn't think that we could hunt it because of the wind. But it turns, as it turns out, the ducks were so into that spot that they were going into this like you would never think that they would be where they were, and and you would never think that where we shot them, it was just a terrible setup. Because what we just tried to make the best of the way the wind, that was just, day one was such an unusual hunt. I walked, Aiden and Tim were on this little bank line, and we shot a few birds. But the day before, we had seen some birds landing in a milo field just 60 yards from the bank. So we set up a spinner. Uh, did we just only have a spinner up there? It was just a spinner? We had a, I think we had a spinner, and some of Aiden had, Aiden had a few of those little full body uh, oh, okay. mallard Okay. Like six. I mean, we had we had less than eight decoys up there. Right. So after after we shot a few, I was like, I want to go try the 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 Milo field. I go up there sixty yards. I immediately boom boom kill two mallards off there. I come back to the shoreline where they're shooting. We kill we kill both of our limits. And the Aiden's like, I want to go to the Milo field. And we run up the Milo field. He kills a couple more up there. But I've just never been on a hunt that unusual. The wind was all wrong. It was crazy. It was almost like twenty five mile an hour winds, almost in our face, and they just didn't care. And that the the Milo field. Now I've hunted a lot of flooded fields, and corn fields, and Milo fields, and that thing, bean fields, whatever. But this wasn't water. Like it was twenty or thirty feet high. Like this was on a big high ridge, right. on a peninsula that ran out in the lake. I mean, it was a climb to get up there. I've never seen ducks land right up on a hill like that kind of out away from that far from the water with trees there there wasn't anything about it that you would think oh yeah ducks will land here and that the first day they were in there by the thousands right. in that field yeah it, it was very and we didn't many. see that we didn't see that many that day when we hunted but still hundreds of them were up there and just all around that spot the most it was the most un- unusual duck hunt I've ever been on. Me too. And it's and when he said we didn't see many, he meant we didn't see many going into the Milo field, because the no. the number of ducks we saw was oh yeah. You couldn't go five seconds without looking in all direct. You could turn any direction and see ducks. 
I mean, it was, and I tried to capture that on video, but you just, there's no way to express the magnitude of that day. Um, and, and just that the, the way I grew up, we hunted, like I said, river bottoms and creek banks and stuff. Mallards would come in and circle 10 times, you know, just around and around and around. And you might get lucky and get them to land where you were, but they may land a hundred yards away or whatever. And that day, ducks weren't circling right any ducks that came over they would just drop right even on that one side where we ended up hunting the next day they just dropped straight in like there was no circling there was no you know even when we were out kind of walking around in the middle of the milo field they were yeah. just they were going to come in and drop in on that part of that water right there and didn't care if we were there or not yeah and this was late this was in january these are January ducks, and they were as dumb a ducks as you can find, which is a beautiful thing. So the second day we went, so to mention the Milo Peninsula and two coves kind of on each side, and the second day we went around to where the X had been a couple days before, and we didn't see near as many ducks, but that day the decoying was just phenomenal. It was just phenomenal. I had, I had because when we said we were going to hunt an open reservoir, of course I put a modified choke in because i thought man we're going to be getting some longer shots you know i don't i don't think the the longest shot we sh we killed a duck that day was pr maybe 40 yards but most of them were within 20 right yeah most of them were you know right there we had the spinner 10 yards off the bank and we were shooting ducks inside the spinner like yeah. i i know there were i missed a couple of ducks because i could see where the shot was going i could see it and it was like a it was like a tennis ball and i just shoot right over the top or right in front of them or so because they were so close right right and it was just for you to get on those two hunts uh those just hunts of a lifetime those are hunts of a lifetime for i mean it's going to be hard to top two days in a row like that that was just that much fun and and there's just something so fun about staying in the cabin and hanging out and cooking and aiden's dad came and joined us just a spec i'm so glad to be able to share that with you so we've got to get it done again at some point yeah one of these days we're both going to retire and i can come out and duck hunt whenever i want then now you know old uh matt vashi uh he was the season one patreon hunt giveaway winner and Man, he got in. The hunt he and I were on was almost as spectacular as those hunts. I mean, and then he comes back the next year hoping for more, and out of seven hunts, he kills one duck. <laughs> <laughs> he brought some East Coast luck with him that second yeah. time, I think. Things have a way of equaling out over time, don't they? So Yeah, yeah. Let's move over to <clears throat> some of the songs. Um now, before we let's go ahead and play this first one that you have picked out. It's called Skybuster. And a after I want to talk about, I want to play a couple of these songs. And I want to talk about the subject matter of them. But then I, I've never actually asked you about this. It's like how, how, how you're making these songs. What's your method for making it? Because um, I'm really curious about that because there's all sorts of different instruments. And I know you don't play all those instruments in your house. I wouldn't assume. So we'll talk about that. Well, let's go ahead and anything you want to say about this song. Skybuster before we, before we play it. Uh, this it came about from a, a lot of the conversations that went on on the the podcast back then on the Duck Gun podcast and you know guys talking about skybusting and that was something that like when I grew up we did a lot of pass shooting at geese and I you know I think man you know I probably did some skybusting back then but at the same time a lot of the geese we shot 
were treetop high. So they were 20 to 30 yards. Even though they were past shooting, we were shooting them, you know, where you could hear the shot hit them. They were so close, they'd come crashing down through the trees. And we shot a lot of wood ducks at 5 to 10 yards. And so there wasn't a lot of opportunity to shoot ducks real far away the way we hunted. And so this idea that, and I started watching some of these other videos of the guys, you know, and they'd say, take them. They all scream and yell and stand up and 10 guys all blasted a, a, you know, a bunch of geese flying over or ducks. That to me was completely foreign. So we just didn't, I didn't hunt like that. Didn't, didn't hunt in big groups like that and didn't hunt where we shot it. You know, unless they were going to be right in your face, you weren't going to get a shot anyway. And so, uh, when I started seeing that, I, I thought I got to write something about this because yeah. I got to kind of make fun of it somehow. All right. So here we go. This is Skybuster by Tim Cochran.
That was Skybuster by Tim Cochran. So, you have any thoughts about, and we talked a little bit about um, what led you to write that song. Um, do you have anything to say about anything more to say about Skybusting or just like the topic of it or shot selection? Well, I, yeah, uh, like I said, it just, it kind of bothered me, honestly, when I saw the way that people hunted because until I started watching hunting on YouTube, I'd never really hunted with anybody but my own family. And I knew how we hunted, you know, and we didn't, we didn't shoot. We didn't shoot at wood ducks flying over high. You shot at them when they're right in front of you. We didn't shoot mallards until they had their feet down in the decoys. Like that's just—I'd never heard anybody else advocate that. That's just how we did it. You know, there wasn't any other option to it. You didn't take forty-yard shots at ducks flying out over the lake somewhere. And so, when I started watching other people doing that, and then kind of hearing the discussion about it, that a lot that that there were a lot of people that did it. Like I was amazed that anybody did that. I thought, man, I got to make fun of this somehow. Let me ask you a true or false question. Okay. okay. Do fumbles and I only shoot birds so closely because we couldn't hit them past thirty-five yards? No, no. I think you guys could hit them if you wanted to. <laughs> I think there may be some truth to that, Tim. I'll tell you, fifteen, twenty years ago. Uh, uh, I was I was entering Fumble's um, hunt log information because we have a bunch of backed up data on spreadsheets um, that that I've got to still enter into hunt stats. And I will say there were some days there where the shooting numbers weren't quite so wonderful. And I can certainly remember days of mine, especially when I shot. We used to have a Browning um, gosh, BPS. It was an English stock. And I, when I first started shooting, my first 10 years of hunting, I was, I just could not shoot real well. I mean, you look at my dad's shooting percentage and mine over the last 15 years, both of us have greatly improved. And I, I will say that I think one reason why we evolved into such a conservative shot selection is not having to run clear across the marsh for winged birds. I mean, a couple of those and having to run 300 yards in, in sloshy mud is all I need to say, this sucks. I'm not shooting that anymore. So I do think, and I, there's certainly a value of the duck discussion, which I've had a lot of times you probably heard. But I, I do think part of our shooting selection was not wanting to run all over the marsh chasing birds just out of exhaustion and shot and our, our poor shooting. We, like I, we never had any kind of retrievers, never had a dog. We were the retrievers. And we never had waders. Like we had hip waders. I never hunted in chest waders until I came to Kansas. Like when I came to Kansas, that was the first time I ever hunted in chest waders. I never had wow. them before that. Wow! And so um, we always made do with hip waders and John boats, and that's just what we did. And so you didn't shoot ducks that were going to fly way off, or, you know, or fall away far away. And, and we hunted moving water. The, we hunted the river, and it was always moving. And so you only shot them close because you didn't want to have to chase them. Right. Not saying I. Yeah. I'm not saying I didn't ever n knock one down that I probably shouldn't have shot at. Right. Or you know, miss some long shots, especially those frustration shots, like you've talked about that third shot. But you know that you tried to be as conservative as possible because you didn't want to have to run through the the bottom and the places we hunted. The it wasn't flat. Like you go down to Arkansas, some of those places, you can walk for two miles and it's perfectly flat. Like those 
flooded bottoms and it's going to stay about the same depth the whole way but where we hunted every 50 yards you could go from knee deep to six or eight foot deep in just a 50 yard walk and so you couldn't just take off walking out through the bottom to chase one if you had to go much further than where you were standing you had to get in a boat and paddle and it just was it was <laughs> self-preservation to shoot them close Right, and there's a couple things about skybusting that stands out to me. Number one is the wounded loss rate continues to climb if you're going to shoot past your lethal range. And you've got to know how far you can shoot. You've got to know how far your your ammo and gun combination will allow you to shoot, and you have to know your competency. There's a couple things. One is the wounded loss. The other one, though, is just ruining it in the marsh for else. Do you remember that video where I got so mad? I'm not, impre- I'm not proud of it, but when I got a little heated on that teal hunt and started kind of yelling at those guys? What was taking place on that hunt is that these these teal, these big groups of teal, were funneling up this little channel over this dike. And there was two groups sitting on the dike. One group literally had the spinner on top of the dike. Like behind or on the very top, like where the access road is. And these teal were coming up high and, dro- and trying to drop down into the to the pool. And the other group was about 60 yards from them. Both of them were facing the same direction. And I, I'm serious. I, I, I don't know how great of an estimator of distance I am. Some of those shots had to be 100 yards plus. I mean, it's like when you see it and you're just like stunned. But the thing is, these birds were trying to enter the pool. Well, we know how blue wing group, big groups of blue wing teal, they get in a pool and they buzz all around. They buzz all over the place. If those guys just would have not shot those shots, all of us would have been banging teal like crazy in our decoys. They ruined it for everybody. And it, it's just like... Yeah with, yeah, with teal, just letting them get down below the the cloud line basically you know getting down to that certain level then they're going to work all the way around and that's i mean we we did a lot of like i said river bottom hunting but the the creek channel kind of flowed through the river but kind of wound or snaked through the river bottom and so once the mallards got down if you could get them to leave them alone and let them get down where they were right over the treetops then they were going to commit someplace like you know once they got that now now if they were 30 40 yards above the trees and you started shooting at them they weren't going to even give you a second look. Once they got down, it was like it was worth it. You know, it was it was worth it to go ahead and come down, or they, they might as well come down if they got to that to that level. I don't know if it makes sense, but right. Yeah, my dad always tells this story out teal hunting. He was hunting with these guys, and he knew one of them pretty well, but the other two he didn't know very well. They were, they were nice guys, and there was nothing wrong with them. But uh, the first couple passes on this blueing teal hunt, um, the teal didn't finish, and these guys just automatically like these birds are not going to finish today. We've got to start shooting whatever we can get. They made that decision way too fast. And the the three of them did shoot their limit, but it, it was all passing shots. And, and not bad shots, but passing shots at 30, 35. And we all know if you get them feet down the decoys, it's just a more pleasurable experience than if you're shooting whizzing birds at 35 yards. But these guys shot their limit. They didn't do anything ethically wrong or anything. The shots weren't bad. But they just made a determination that the birds aren't going to finish. Well, my dad, my dad's just not going to shoot at that stuff. He's just not. He's not. He's not mad at him. He's like, okay, I'll just sit here and work my dog. And and so the three of them shot their limit, and they had separate vehicles. And they're like, okay, well, uh, my dad's like, go ahead, go ahead, and take off. I'll just sit here and keep hunting. Well, they left, and my dad started being patient. Guess where he was shooting them? Right in the decoys, feet down. Right. And so it's just as hunters, it's really important to to 
I think, um, to maximize the enjoyment and maximize the enjoyment is feet down birds. So don't be so quick just to decide they're not going to finish. Really try to push it and feel it out and see how they're going to react. Those guys in the dike, all they had to do was not shoot at 55 yards plus a couple times and watch what these teal were doing. And I think they would have soon discovered that we're all going to shoot our limit if you just take a deep breath. Anyway, now, see, anyway. another, another place that I've seen that, we killed a lot of geese growing up. We we were in, we were 20 miles from a place called Crab Orchard Lake, and it was a national wildlife refuge, and they regularly held hundreds of thousands, you know, half a million geese or more every winter. And so every air, anywhere around there that had any water was going to hold lots of geese. And we happened to, our property, and this is just God's grace, we owned property between an old reclaimed strip mine that had several thousand acres of private land basically that wasn't fathered big huge lakes that never froze and on just the other side of us there was a some folks that were quite wealthy and had a big huge private hunting area that they only hunted once or twice a week and like they just left it sit there and we we owned right in between <laughs> and so that we we killed a lot of ducks and geese just moving back and forth but we'd hunt out in the cornfields and there may be, we'd have a group, and then the neighbors would have a group, and then the neighbors on the other side would have it. So there'd be people kind of spread out in goose pits all over the place. And we'd see the same type of thing as you did with the teal. When the geese would come in and start working the field, once they got down to a certain level, you knew somebody was going to get a shot. It may not have been our group, but somebody in that field, those that you know, once they got to that level, when they got down to the 30, 40-yard range, their height, maybe 50 yards, they were going to drop someplace. They were going to land. And they, oh, it would drive me crazy when they would, the geese would come in, they'd make one pass over, and they'd start shooting at them at right. 60 or 70 mm -hmm. yards high instead of just, you know, no, you may not get your turn this time. But, I mean, we literally had tens of thousands of geese all around. So you were going to kill your geese that day. Well, our limit was always two. So it wasn't like you had to work real hard to kill a limit. If we just sit there and be patient, but yeah, it always drive me crazy. It was like, okay, those are really going to work. Boom, 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 and they'd start shooting right. at them, you know. And then they'd all they'd all fly away, or maybe one would drop. But when you have a group of ten geese that you know you could get in and shoot half of them or more, and they just start shooting at them from hundred yards. It's right. And if you're in a situation where there's multiple groups and the birds aren't going to you, but they're going to another group, a lot of times if you're just patient, they'll shoot their limit. You can replace them, you know, just I think patience is just a little bit more needed. So um, we're going to jump into the next song. Before we do that, where can people find um, this music to hear or to, to purchase to listen to? Well, um, they can search my name on Spotify, Apple Music. C-O-C-H-R-A-N, Tim yes. Cochran. C-O-C-H-R-A-N. Uh, they can look on uh more some of the other ones uh, amazon music pretty much any any of the major streaming sites it's it it's on all of those but yeah look and at, you've got two two full albums out and all of them are about waterfowl hunting yes yes awesome. one is called honey hole and the other one is called duck it all and both of these songs well we're playing three two of these songs are from duck it all from the album duck it all okay so we're going to get into this second one. You want to preface this before we play it? <laughs> now, this one uh, is a little bit from experience. I stepped on, we had 
lots of beavers in our area where I grew up, and beaver stops are, I don't know, they're razor sharp, I guess, because I stepped right in the middle of a really good hunt, and we'd have to walk. We'd cross the creek and then walk a half a mile or more and then have another boat and cross the creek there and walk even further because the river kind of snaked back and forth to get where we were going to hunt. And so we'd go and stay most of the day if we were going to hunt, if, you know, if the ducks were working. And I got all the way down to where I was going to hunt one day and stepped on a stob and cut a hole in my <laughs> one of my hip boots. And, my I mean, it just everybody's done it, you know, and filled up with frigid because it was about 20 or 25 degrees, which was perfect duck hunting weather. It was just not great to have a boot full of water. And there was, you know, no there was no dry ground anywhere close to go to to like get out and build a fire and warm up or anything so i endured as long as i could and had to turn around walk all the way back home and i think that all of us can relate to the content of this song so this is called ice cold water by tim cochran
All right. So, um, do you have any other? Well, before we before I ask that, what, do you have any theories? And maybe you don't. Why is it so difficult for anyone to make waders that can go longer than fifteen to thirty hunts without poking holes? I don't. I, I guess I don't know. You know, uh, I here's my idea. Lacrosse makes. Like the the boots I always wore, the the hip waders. After that pair, anyway, the hip waders I always had were lacrosse, just the old olive green lacrosse hip waders, and I that's what I wear. Like my regular boots, my little eighteen inch or sixteen inch pack boot things are just lacrosse, and they those things last forever. They're rubber. They're not canvas. They're like a canvas on the inside, rubber on the outside. Why they can't make chest waders that are built out of that material up to the the hip because though i mean i used to i literally would go rabbit hunting in my hip waders Mm -hmm. because you know you can wade through briar stuff with them and it didn't tear them up and but why they can't just go ahead and fasten some comfortable material from there on up (laughs) i don't understand because it seems like they should be able to make something tougher than what's out there yeah, my dad used to have a pair of something like that, and he called them brush busters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but and I they're, mean, they're they, not comfortable. I, I mean, these they fit good around the ankle, and they, you know, they're a little bit heavy, but not too bad. But I, I right. wore those. I, I would walk miles when I was in high school and college in those hip waders, you know, all over the place. I'd, I'd just wear them, take off and go. Cause I might want to cross a Creek or something. I wanted to have my hip waders on in case I needed to get in the water. And so yeah. I'd wear those like regular boots and go everywhere in them. Well, the ones my dad had were full chest waders. So, and they were big and loose open. So if you get water in those, it's like, it's like you're dead. <laughs> There's no float. I will say, I think that breathable waders are actually better than neoprene. Neoprene waders, the problem with them is the seams. It's always the seams. They, you don't get as many holes in them. If you're going to get a hole in like your breathable waders, they're much, much easier to patch. If you get if you get seam leaks in those neoprenes, you're not. I mean, good luck. Good luck right. patching yeah. them. Is probably um, those, I think with the, the breathables too, you can make them looser. So they don't. I think what happens with neoprene is they get stretched so tight. And that's where you right. they get stretched and rip the seams. With the the breathables, you can make them a lot more blousey, but yet mm-hmm. they're still not cumbersome. And you know, if you make a pair of neoprene that are too big and and loose, then they <laughs> they get huge because they don't kind of stay close to your body. I don't know. Right. I'll say if you if you're still wearing neoprene waders, if you ever wear breathables, you'll never wear neoprene again. I mean, the comfort level is like night and day different. I will never put on another pair of neoprene, a neoprene waders. And I, I've had pretty good luck with, um, with breathables. Uh, with my neoprenes, I was getting about thirteen hunts out of out of them. I, I, I was kind of keeping track, and and I was I kept getting free ones. I won't say where they were from, but I kept getting free ones until on the first day I got a new pair, I got too close to a fire and burn a hole in them. <laughs> <laughs> They're not covering that, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get your money back when you're too close to a fire and burn. <laughs> but the damnedest thing, I put a, I got a ton of Gorilla Glue. And it was like a hole. You can't see my fingers. But it was a hole um, like five inches by four inches. It was massive. And I put so much Gorilla Glue on those things. And I got like 20 hunts out of them yeah. before yeah. I got any leakage. 
<laughs> after after putting that gorilla, but it was an eyesore. It looked like a bunch of dried barf on my leg. <laughs> I think I remember th- those were in one of the videos, weren't they? Did you oh, wear yeah. those though? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember those. That was like season two, I think. Season one, um, I was out with Danny Boy, and we were on uh, Thanksgiving weekend, and it was a icy kind of just terrible ducky day you know wind blowing ice coming down and we went into this this marsh and there was no one else there and and we were kind of struggling we weren't there was ducks around but we weren't shooting them well about an hour in he trips falls in the water gets all wet and he's so cold that he's got to go back to the boat and he he's got to start a fire which i've got multiple videos of him getting wet and starting fire yeah yeah kind of a common theme Right, right. So he went back there, and then he went back, and the ducks started decoying. On the last pass, I shot a triple. They all came in, like 15 of them. I killed the first one. I went to kill the second one, and I scotch doubled on the second one. All right, so uh, with your with your music, talk to me about your process for making these songs. What kind of electronical device are you making? Because it sounds like you've just got all sorts of different instruments. And uh, so, what's your process, and how long does it take you to to make a song? Well, a lot of times, from the time I get the idea, I'm not a patient person. That's part of my problem. Uh, I, from the time I get an idea for a song, I have a 20 minute drive to work every day so i'll think about it all the way to work and throughout the day like at lunch i'll you know write some lyrics down or whatever and and a lot of times by the time i get home that night i've already got the lyrics all worked out just in one day now sometimes it takes a little longer but and then i I just can't stand to not work on it so i'll i use my ipad that's how i pretty much do all my music now i will play my i have a a acoustic guitar that i'll play sometimes and record most of it's just done on the ipad because it got all kinds of instruments on there you can use yeah and so I will, excuse me, I will uh, start laying down like, you know, rhythm tracks and that kind of thing and kind of figuring out how I want to do it and start adding different layers to it. So so you're picking a particular instrument and then you're using the keyboard? Either the, or keyboard, or the keyboard or some of them. Yeah, well, it, it has a little digital keyboard on there that you can, you know, like a little piano keyboard that you can play like a virtual keyboard and then some of it like it has the, the neck of the guitar and you can literally move your fingers around and make the guitar sounds with it and little drum little little digital drum set and you can tap on the little drums and cymbals and stuff and play on it so do you write down because some of the i mean some of these instruments are intricate lines it's not like a few little tiny notes no, are you all... writing down the music to it or are you just doing it by ear just by ear oh my gosh yeah i just i just do what sounds <laughs> i just do what sounds good and i go over it and over and over it and go back and delete things and add to and I just kind of keep adding layers to it until I get it to sound the way I want and then I have a, a a little makeshift recording studio in our basement where we have clothes hanging up kind of on three sides so it kind of dampens the sound and set my microphone up down there and then I'll carry my iPad with me plug the headphones in and listen to the music and sing into the microphone and put so it and lay down a couple So how long did you of, say it takes you to make each one? Uh couple of days jeez a couple of days can't come out that fast it just seems like it would just be so yeah uh, during co- during covid especially i'm a school teacher and so during covid we were done with school every day at well you know for months we didn't have students and so i would do my online classes with my students for the first half of the day and the second half of the day I had nothing to do <laughs> so i would sit and 
write lyrics and then I'd get home I'd start laying down tracks and singing and whatever and kind of put yeah. it all together that's awesome that's awesome so the last song that we are going to play for you guys this is an FDH song that he came up and and I think I know but but why did you come up with um with this song about <laughs> about it's called full it's called full choke yeah um it obviously came about when uh, there was some discussion about using a full choke versus a improved versus a modified and well jordan was, kept giving me jordan kept yeah. joking when i was on the duck on podcast jordan just kept running this narrative about how i just love to use full chokes because i don't and it became a big thing right yeah yeah and so you know i felt like i again saw my i saw my opening <laughs> place <laughs> to get a a good song in and so i wrote a song about elliot having the full choke in all the time and my favorite one was there was a point in time on the Duck on podcast where Jordan kept getting poison oak, like in the nether regions. And you made a song. I started calling him Oak Nuts was my nickname for him. And you made a song about that, too. I, ah, we should have played that one. <laughs> <laughs> you can put it in, too. <laughs> That's hilarious. But you're going to feel them burn when your crotch is on fire. Because I, as I was doing it, I, I thought, you know, this would this would make a great song, like a, a concert, like a live song. Yeah. And so I recorded it and kind of made it sound like it was a, a live audience, you know, with like people in the background cheering and stuff. And <laughs> I think I can I think I can convince Darlene that it was actually live. <laughs> That's right, because she told me she's like, I think Tim did a concert. I totally forgot about that. She's like, I think Tim did a concert. I'm like, I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, Yeah, I think he did a concert for a bunch of people. Yeah, I put a little thing at the beginning when I made the video to put on because a lot of the, the videos aren't really a video; it's just a, a a thumbnail, and then I put the song on there so people can listen to it on YouTube. I put a little thing at the beginning about how I was honored to go and and play at a the Covade concert in. <laughs> And originally I put originally I put South Bend, Indiana, but because that's Jordan was kind of from that general area. So I thought, well, no, that may be a little too close to home, so I, I changed it to some other oh, town or whatever. Oh my gosh, yeah. All right, so the song we're gonna play it's Full Choke. It's from his FDH series, which I don't think these songs are available. They're not up yet. On, they will. I'm working on it. Okay. Yeah, so. I'm gonna make an album at some point. Here we go. Full Choke by Tim Cochran. You'll find a million hunters with their camel waders on. 
I do like that full choke one, but I'd say my favorite of the three is Skybuster. Um, But there's a lot of good ones on there. So, guys, if you like these and you want to check them out, Spotify, Tim Cochran, C O C H R A N. Um, And And I think I'm the only. I think I'm the only Tim Cochran on Spotify. (laughs) That's because I've searched it before. That's how. If you find Tim Cochran, it's me. Right. You need to. You you need to do a duet with Robert and have you and Robert like do a song. Yeah, I've got there some of the songs. Some of the even some of the songs on these albums are Robert. Like I originally spun those as Robert Mann, you know, and like made the the uh, the the they're on his YouTube channel instead of mine. But so there are some one of the one of the the uh, I'm trying to think I think it was the Mid Valley Mercenaries rap that I did. That was kind of <laughs> like a it was kind of like a. Snoop Dogg rap or something oh, like that, you I'm know. Not but sure it, I've heard that one. Oh yeah, sure it was it was it was Robert Mann, and then uh, there's an, another guy that shows up every once in a while. It's a friend of Robert's named Clevitis, Clevitis <laughs> Rowley, and uh, he and Clevitis rap on that one. <laughs> oh my gosh, what is the matter with you, man? I have no idea. <laughs> So before before we close this out, and for those of you that are here for Patreon, um, we're going to do a Patreon-only session at the end of this where I'm going to spin the wheel, and um, every month I'm going to spin the wheel, and one patron is going to join me on a future podcast for about, I don't know, 10 to 15-minute segment that that is going to be on one of the public episodes. So if you're listening to this and you want to join us at Patreon, it's patreon.com slash freelancestuckhunting right now. What you're listening to, we are holding this live. We've got comments going on. Tom's here. Aaron's here. Captain's here. My mom is here. So if you want to join these live sessions where you can see the video for them and you can get a chance to be on the podcast and a lot of other cool stuff that you can get, patreon.com slash freelance stuck in and enter into the hunt giveaway we're gonna have a season three the year three for that patreon.com slash freelance stuck hunting maybe i'll finally win yeah if you win i like no <laughs> you already got the hunt of your life you don't gonna bring that bad luck to me like vashi did he brought me yeah, bad luck no kidding coming back with his daughter and 
I'll tell you, his daughter, uh, she came and hunted the second. They came. They made two. He was with me almost. He, he stayed in my house almost all of December. <laughs> and I don't say that with contempt. I find it so cool. Guy wins a Patreon hunt giveaway. We hunt together. Now we're like lifelong friends. He's staying like multiple weeks in my house. My, my whole family loves him. <laughs> and his daughter was so cool. Such a such a cool kid. That's a cool kid. She was um, a trooper to, to hunt as much as they did and not kill very much. That She's a trooper. Yeah, not <laughs> kill very, very much. She hunted four days, and we put her through it, and we killed one duck. And it was my son Elijah that killed the duck. He showed up on the last hunt, and he killed it. They, neither two of them <laughs> killed a thing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. What was it that we – oh, the I want you to talk about your favorite meme. We said you are going to talk about constricts a lot, and this is the last thing we do. Oh, yeah. And then we'll close down for Patreon only and do okay. that giveaway. But um, talk about your favorite meme real quick. Tim Cochran, the meme machine. Oh, man. I, I didn't think about a favorite meme. Well, you can tell about the constricts a lot one if you want. Yeah, the, the, the constricts a lot was just kind of a, you know, I'm a kid from the 90s, or I was a kid in the 90s, I guess, and so Sir Mix-a-Lot with the whole right. Baby Got Back song, yeah. you know, everybody uh -huh. recognizes that. And so at, at some point, I, I don't know. This was the height of the I, full choke. The full choke, yes, that Jordan with the, all the full choke stuff, mm -hmm. and I don't know. It just hit me one day. I was like, you know, it'd be funny, like Mixola constrict constrictor or something. It constricts a lot. Oh yeah. And so then I I made one meme with just a constricts a lot choke tube, and then it just started like popping in my head like, oh, I could make one like this, and then you know, so there was the anaconda, and then they that all the all the constricts a lot stuff kind of ties back to Sir Mix a lot and. And uh, yeah. the baby and got there, back. And, so. and there's all sorts of things on the meme about how you can shoot like ridiculous distance. It's like full choke on, like beyond anything anyone would ever use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the measurement on there. That like the the original one, I I put like the the diameter of the choke. And if you actually look at the real look at it, it's like the just a little bit bigger than a 22. Like it's <laughs> really restricted down. In fact, one of one of them says, you know, that it. It constricts it so much that it, the shot comes out in a single file line or something <laughs> like that, and and yet somebody was seriously wanting to buy some of them at some point. <laughs> Sorry, pal, it's it's a joke. It's a joke. You should have made something out of like construction paper or like <laughs> get his address and send it to him. Piece, piece of PVC pipe, spray yeah, paint it black. Yeah. But the the uh, the like the theme song or the the little quote that I put on all of them is dial one nine nine constricts a lot and hit them nasty shots <laughs> instead of from the one nine nine whatever it was one nine hundred mix a lot or something yeah, like that so, yeah no. well so the the, the real nineties kids recognize yeah. it hopefully <laughs> I am that how how old are you forty seven well right. I'll be forty seven in a couple weeks okay so you would have been like a freshman or sophomore when I was a senior. So you're yeah, like I graduated you're just older than corn. Okay, yeah, and I graduated ninety one. Yep. So we, yeah, we're from the same generation for sure. Mm -hmm. for sure. Oh yeah, some of the last generation to go through high school without cell phones. Did you have any cell phones? Um, oh my gosh, I didn't have a cell phone until I got married. Right after I, I, I probably we'd probably been married three years when we got cell phones. That's my wife got one first, but then I, I didn't have any use for a cell phone. They, where we live, they didn't work anywhere. <laughs> anyway, there was no signal, so. Didn't yeah. do any good to have one. Right. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. If you're at Patreon, hang on. We're going to do the podcast monthly giveaway and see who's going to come and join me. And um, if you're listening to this on any of the, of the outlets, thank you for joining me.
You have listened to another episode of the North American Water Tower. succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv